Good morning. Good morning. Before we get into the sermon, uh, I do think we need to keep in mind and keep in our prayers those who have perhaps lost family, uh, those who have served and lost their lives, and be praying as we I mentioned we mentioned in class the Fryer family who lost two daughters and uh, the father and one of the sons is in the hospital. Uh, pray for them. Um, pray for the Fontaines with Buddy's passing. I would also add that uh, pray for Elizabeth and Austin, the, the young couple that's been coming. They've been sick for quite some time. They had a bad case of strep this week. I got on antibiotics. I think John actually helped them out. Um, so pray for them that they would get well. And so there's a lot we need to be praying for. So before we get into the sermon, let's pray. God, we are thankful that you love us, that you are so merciful for, to, towards us, that you are gracious towards us. Lord, we are mindful of so much suffering in our world, people who lost loved ones, people who have lost husbands, wives, sons, daughters. We pray for those who have served in the army, those who have lost their lives, those who have lost loved ones. We pray for comfort. We pray for the Fontaines. We pray that you would give Yvonne comfort. We pray for the Friar family. We pray that you would allow them to grieve and look towards you in their grief. And God, we pray for Elizabeth and Austin and their family. We pray that they would be healed. And there's so many more people who are currently suffering. Maybe they are in uh, doubt. They're frustrated oftentimes blaming you. We pray that you would show up in their lives, give them peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I kind of like bread. I think that's a pretty common thing for everybody in here. We we like bread, right? Uh, I know there are some weird people who cut carbs. Man, I'm just adding carbs. I don't know why anybody would want to cut some carbs. I can just be satisfied with just eating some bread. See, I'm the kind of person when I go to a restaurant and there's a complimentary basket of crackers, I'm taking that basket, you know what I'm saying? Hey, you're giving me those crackers, so I'm just going to take them. Carbs are great, all right? Carbs are great. I know that might make me a little weird, but I can't help myself. You know, in general, in our society, bread is a staple. Really, in all its forms, it's probably the biggest staple food in history. There are some historians who would suggest that society would not be where it is if not for bread, right? Because Well, one, it's easy to produce, it's relatively cheap, it's a simple food, so there's a lot of reasons why it's so important to our society. It's cheap. And, you know, especially if you're like me, you walk down the bread aisle, you're not looking at the more expensive wheat loaves. Oh, I'm going for them dollar loaves that Walmart produces, right? Save me some money, some cheap loaves. Uh, So if you think about it, in chapter 6 of John, it makes sense why these people are so caught up in Uh, following Jesus because they found someone who can essentially snap their fingers and make the very food they rely on to live. As the old saying goes, bread and circuses, which comes from the quote, give them bread and circuses and they will never revolt. That's from the first century Roman poet Juvenal. So it makes a lot of sense why these people, they seek Jesus They found someone that can meet their wants and their needs. They are fulfilled. They are satisfied and maybe even a little entertained, right? Imagine if you found somebody that can just multiply bread that might be a little entertaining. Just as kind of a side note, if you think about our politics 
and America. I'm just going to go there for a brief moment. Our politics, our parties in America, they appeal, if you notice, to the same core things. Right? They offer to take care of your wants and needs, though by very different means, obviously. They offer to take care of your wants and means, so it's not any surprise that people vote who they vote for, right? It's not really about who the politician is, it's about what they offer. If we're honest, we're not voting for them because of who they are, because quite frankly, they're all pretty terrible people. We vote for them because of what they offer us. So many people, they just want somebody to provide for their needs and their wants. So in John chapter 6, the people following Jesus, man, they're not following him because of who he is. They're following him because he provides something for them. They are more than satisfied with the bread that Jesus gave them, but Jesus, he wants them to see him as much more. So for the next four weeks, we're going to break down this long passage in John chapter 6, verses 22 through 71. That's essentially the whole passage. There's no way I'm going to preach a whole sermon on that, 22 through 71. So we're going to focus on verses 22 through 29. So John chapter 6, verses 22 through 29, essentially in this little block of text, Jesus, he's trying to change their mindset in a very specific way. So verse 22, it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Now keep in mind, this crowd that is following Jesus likely consists of mostly Jews, and as we noted last week, It's near the time of the Passover. So they should be going down to Jerusalem on their pilgrimage to go celebrate the Passover, celebrate how God delivered them from Egypt. They're not doing that. Now keep in mind the geographical context, if you could go to the next slide. I don't know if you can see that. Well, I'm going to step down real quick. They are here, Tiberius. It said they were in the Sea of Tiberius. So they're right here. The disciples take a boat. They go up to Capernaum after Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's about a six-mile journey by boat. So the people, that crowd, they're still down in Tiberius. They're wondering where Jesus went off to. They knew that he did not go with his disciples. So look at what they decide to do in verses 23 through 24. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Right? So the next logical thing for them to do is just go where the disciples are going, where the twelve are going, because presumably that's where Jesus would be, since that's who Jesus was traveling with. Again, the time of the Passover is close. Going to Capernaum is in the very opposite direction of Jerusalem. They're not going where they should be. They're going to try and find Jesus. So verse 25 says this, they locate Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now you may think to yourself, man, it's great that they're seeking Jesus. They're willing to travel, you know, even though it's near the time of the Passover, they're they're seeking Jesus. That's a good thing. You got to remember, their motive is still in question. It's not exactly clear if they have the right motive here. And of course, in this text, they're all confused as to how Jesus got there. They presumed maybe Jesus took the long way around. Since Jesus didn't get in the boat with his disciples, maybe he just walked there. He walked there, but not the normal route. Verse 26 says this, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of 
the loaves. Slide that over there. You ate your fill of the loaves. That's an interesting way for Jesus to put that. They're not really focused on the miracles at this point, but they sure are glad to have their bellies full. Really, in this text, their bellies are bursting. Let me explain that for a second. The Greek word here used uh, to ate, ate their fill of the loaves, that word translated as that is used often in the context of fattening of animals. Right? They didn't just eat till they were full. They gorged like a bunch of fat animals, right? For those who are farmers, you know, you feed your cows, pigs, I don't know, I, I don't farm, that's not my thing, but you, you feed them, you fatten them up quite a bit, right? So Jesus, in a way, he's almost calling them like, man, you fatten yourself like an animal, you gorge. They didn't just eat what they wanted to eat to be full, they ate more than enough. So they follow Jesus, not just because, you know, they ate what they needed, but man, they got more than enough. They got the, what they wanted. They fulfilled their desires, even though it was so much more than what they needed. People, they just seek Jesus because he can fulfill their desires. Right? Tell me what I want to hear, Jesus. Give me what I, wanna, what I want, Jesus. Be the Jesus I want you to be, Jesus. So many people want a personalized Savior. A Savior that never offends, never convicts, never leads. A Savior that does what they want. Someone to save them, provide for them, but God forbid, change them. See, if you've never been convicted by Jesus, if you haven't been changed by Jesus, you might have created a personalized Savior. Do you want to be fattened by Jesus? Do you just want Jesus to fulfill all your needs, wants, all your desires? Verse 27. Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus, he focuses on something very important here. Are we just laboring for what is perishable? Stuff, right? Which includes our needs and our once, or are we laboring for food that endures to eternal life? Or do you think our main purpose in life is just to wake up, eat, work, buy sustenance, sleep, repeat? Is that our main purpose in life, just to do something that doesn't last, do something that doesn't last until we die? Is that our main purpose? Is that really what life is? If that's all there is to life, do you see how bleak that is? I don't really think that's life at all. I don't think that's true life. Let me call you back to our first sermon in the series in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. If you could go to the next slide, I'm going to try to illustrate this. What do I think is true life, and what do I think scripturally is true life? Well, think about this. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we, one of the main points was that matter did not give rise to life. Life gave rise to matter. All right, so John 1, verse 4, it talks about how in him, Jesus was life. So consider this with me. Jesus, the Word, in those verses, is God. As God... Jesus is eternal, all right? Moreover, Jesus is life, 
and the source of life. Therefore, life itself, the source, is eternal. Since Jesus is eternal. So if Jesus is life and the source of life, temporary physical life cannot be true life. Temporary life cannot be true life since it is temporary. In comparison to life itself, the source, Jesus, who is eternal. Therefore, true life is eternal life. If we think this is just it, we're just waking up, we eat, we work, we sleep, we die. That's pretty bleak life. That's not true life. True life is eternal life. And Jesus, the very basis upon which we take each breath. Go back to verse 27, the second half. Verse 27, it says, But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his So why do I think Jesus urges them to labor for food that endures to eternal life? Because it is true life. Eternal life is true life. This eternal life is given by who? Well, the Son of Man, Jesus, as the text says. How? Why? For or because on him God the Father has set his seal, which is to say that Jesus the Son is God the Father approved. What Jesus offers, eternal life, is according to God the Father's will. And the crowd asked the next reasonable thing. Verse 28, they said to him, what must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, you're talking about this eternal life. Well, what do we got to do to get that eternal life? And Jesus, the most important verse in this text, verse 29, Jesus, he corrects their thinking. They're thinking the wrong way. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe or trust in him who he has sent. See, in verse 28, they're focusing on the wrong thing. They were thinking that eternal life is something that they could earn if they just knew what the right things were to do. But Jesus responds to them, no, 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 no. Here's what God desires, that you believe, that you trust in him who he has sent, which is me. Trust in Jesus. See, when we hear Jesus, when we hear of what he has done for us, our first response should not be, all right, tell me what I need to do to earn it. Our first response should be trust. Who you trust will determine what you do. So if you trust yourself, then of course you're going to think about, okay, how can I earn eternal life? That's if you trust yourself. If you trust stuff, then yeah, you're going to live your life just trying to get whatever you want. Perhaps a more positive example, if you trust your spouse, you're not going to be looking behind your back if they're going to try to collect on insurance, you know, that kind of thing. You're going to trust them. You're going to feel like you can share with them your anxieties, your stresses, your struggles. There's so many ways in which who we trust or even what we trust determines what we do. This is why our first response to Jesus has always got to be trust. We see him, we see how sinful we are and how awesome he is and that our trust should not be directed at nobody else besides him, not ourselves. 
I pray that that's your first response. You fall into a path of legalism when you trust yourself. It won't get you anywhere. You've got to trust Jesus. You've got to trust him as the bread, as the one who sustains life itself, as the one who offers you eternal life, which is true life. If you want to trust him, you can as we stand and sing.